Welcome everyone to the Special Education Inner Circle Podcast. I'm your host, Catherine Witcher, and today we're going to talk about three messy IEP mistakes that are happening right now. We're at the beginning of 2021. We've learned a lot over the past year, but I'm seeing a lot of mistakes still happening. Before we get started, I want to quick remind you that the last Master IEP Coach Mentorship of this school year will be starting next month. You can head over to masteriepcoach.com and find out all about it. So our first mistake that we're going to talk about today is happening um, all the time, but right now it's really important that we look closely at this mistake that has been around forever and fix it. It's the concept of updating a parent input statement in a way that goes beyond just mom, dad, what are you worried about? See, a parent input statement belongs in every IEP. There's a space for it. It's supposed to go there. Sometimes it's called a parent educational concerns section. It can be called a different name of that section in your state or in your district, but the bottom line is it exists. And inside of that parent input statement section, there's often a comment such as, uh, mom has no worries at this time. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know any special needs mom that doesn't have some worry all of the time. Or it'll say, parents are concerned that the child is eating lunch alone. Now, that's absolutely a concern to have, but that's not a valid uh, place to put this concern. This parent input statement, parent concern section really needs to go above and beyond just one or two little worries that are happening right now or <laughs> saying that there's no worry at all. We wanna make sure that, uh, especially after this past year of what we've been through with the school system and home and virtual learning and hybrid learning, that we are looking at parents as not just a partner, but a leader on the IEP team. Now to do that, this parent input statement needs to encompass a lot of different areas. I got really good at doing parent input statements back when I was a teacher because I'm a special needs sibling. So I know what it's like inside of a special needs family home. I know what it's like to hear a mom and a dad who are worried about an education, who are quite honestly complaining about what's working, what's not working, what a school could be doing, should be doing. So I had that perspective going into the classroom. When I walked into my first classroom, into this big empty room with a green milk crate and a stack of IEPs inside of it, and I'm looking at present levels of performance and what's going to happen when it comes to um, gathering supplies and curriculum and all of these things. I went to the parent input statement because I knew as a teacher that if I wanted things to go as smoothly as possible, I needed to know what did the parents want? What were they worried about? That section was not filled out completely on most of the IEPs. Doing what I've been doing here for the last 20 some years, I can tell you that's actually the norm. The norm is that this section is not utilized effectively. That's something huge that we teach inside of the Master IP Coach Mentorship is how to build this piece. So no matter what your role is on the IEP table, you know how to use this section of the IEP. You wanna make sure that a parent knows how to put together and voice their concerns, their expectations, 
their desired outcomes in areas such as academics, communication, social, emotional, behavior. All of these things need to be included into a parent input statement. Now, teachers, you want this to happen. You want to have these tough conversations about what does a parent want in all of those areas because you have the expertise to help a child in a lot of different ways. So if a child has a deficit in reading, there's probably at least a dozen goals that you could go through to help the child with their reading deficit. But if you have the parent input statement and you look at what the concerns are, both short-term and long-term from the parent point of view, you're gonna be able to take those 12 or 15 ideas that you have for how to help a child with reading and narrow it down and focus it into a collaborative plan where everybody's working together at home and school towards this same desired outcome. Teachers, this makes your job easier. So get really good at creating these parent input statements. So old school parent input statements of just a few worries or no concerns at all, that's a mistake that we can't afford to make anymore. Our second mistake, again, we've seen highlighted over this past year. It's something that we can fix without an IEP meeting. We want to make sure that things are documented formally in the IEP at all times. However, to get there, it doesn't mean that we always have to all go to the table at the same time. Now, think about it. Have you ever experienced, whether you're a parent or you're a teacher or you're another professional on the IEP team, where things are supposed to be happening in the IEP, in this IEP accommodations and modifications section, and they're just not happening. So things like making sure a child has all of their visuals or the behavior reward system is set up, extended time on uh, tests or maybe an extra set of books at home. All these little things really matter, but often we put together a list of accommodations and modifications and we don't follow through with who is going to do what. So. When a child is going from their specialized instruction in the room with the special education teacher into the general education room, who's supposed to make sure that all the visuals are present, that the directions are still being read to them, that they're still getting extended time on their activities? Who's in charge of that? Now, it could be a lot of different answers. In fact, you you might be thinking, well, I'm the teacher, I'm in charge. Or the parent saying, I'm assuming that the special education teacher's in charge of that. But maybe the special education teacher is like, well, I told the gen ed teacher about the accommodations and modifications and now she has to do them. Or what about those modified worksheets that you've been getting through distance learning or have they even been modified? They're supposed to be modified. Who has received a worksheet at home from the school where it has not met your child's needs? Quite honestly, I don't know one family who hasn't experienced that. And a lot of that has to do with just who is supposed to be doing that piece. So we have to make sure that inside of the accommodations and modifications section that we understand who is doing what, that we're delegating. You know, there's so much to do as a special education teacher and it all feels like it falls on your shoulders, right? But there are some things that other teachers actually can be responsible for. Parents, it's important for you to know this because you have to ask the questions of who's gonna be responsible for this. So for example, if a child is supposed to have visuals for their instructions, and they go to gym class with the general education, who's making those visuals for the child? Who's breaking down these steps? Is the aide? Is the gym teacher? Is the special education teacher supposed to know what's happening in gym and break all that down? 
it can work a lot of different ways. I'm not here to tell you exactly how it should work. I'm telling you that it needs to work and somebody needs to be responsible for making sure that all of these accommodations and modifications are being implemented in all different areas. So here we are in the start of 2021, we have all of this information of what's happened over the past year of what's being modified or what accommodations are needed for a child. We're gonna go back into the school system full time sooner than later, we hope, right? Who's gonna make sure that all of this continues to get done? So let's make sure that we don't make the mistake of assuming that just because it's written down in the IEP that the teacher's gonna take care of it being the special education teacher, or that the gym teacher knows how to implement the accommodations and modifications, or that the art teacher knows how to modify that activity. Let's not make those assumptions. Let's talk about it and let's put some accountability and some delegation into this section of the accommodations and modifications. Again, this is something that I love to work on inside of the Master IP Coach Mentorship. If you have not already become a Master IP Coach, it's time for you to jump in. Just head over to masteriepcoach.com and you'll get all of the details. Our third messy mistake that we're going to be talking about a lot during this upcoming Master IP Coach Mentorship is keeping low priority IEP goals. This is a huge mistake. Almost every IEP team that I've come in contact with over the past year has had to make some tough decisions on which goals to work on first and which ones need to kind of go to the back burner. They just need to be set aside because it's not important right now. So this low priority IEP goal has gotten pushed aside once or twice or three times. You know, we're deciding what's gonna happen next, how we're gonna move forward. And again, we have these high priority IEP goals and we have low priority IEP goals. Guys, we need to get rid of the low priority IEP goals. If it was not worth your time to work on right now in the middle of crisis, you have to do a hard look at that goal and see, is it really important moving forward? Remember that every IEP is meant to prepare a child for further education, employment, and independent living. Those are during the good times and the bad times. So what took high priority and what did we say, mm, I don't really know if that's super important right now. Do we need to keep working on that? It's important for you to understand that an IEP does not include everything that a child is going to learn. It absolutely needs to include the high priority goals to ensure that the child's unique needs are met and that they're being prepared for further education, employment, and independent living. So when you made this IEP as a team, you decided, oh, let's work on these things. Now, can we all agree that maybe what was important a year ago is not important now and that we have to refocus on what's going to be important moving forward? I mean, we've moved into a digital world faster than we ever thought possible. So is doing something like uh, learning how to shred papers as a job skill, is there probably um, not going to be a big opportunity for that in the future? So let's look at what, how are we preparing our students that are ages 14 and up for life after school? Do we have relevant IEP goals for transitioning? How about our younger kiddos that, you know what, we weren't really addressing technology perhaps a year ago, but now there's such a huge need for technology and being able to access everything. And this is not short term. This is gonna be ongoing long term. So you have to make sure that you're getting rid of the goals that have become low priority over the past year 
assuming that they're not going to be high priority moving forward. It's okay to let them go. And again, just because something's not an IEP goal doesn't mean that your child can't learn it. I talk about this one a lot, so I'm not going to go into the full speech about it. But for example, pennies, nickels, dimes, and quarters, do I want a child to understand that it's money? Absolutely. If we can get there, do I want them to understand all the things about coins? Absolutely. Do I think that we should stall a child's progress when it comes to understanding money, money management, greater than, less than, estimating, rounding, multiplying, all the things that go into money management? Do I think that we should stop our progress in money knowledge, money concepts, and money management because we can't nail down those concepts of penny, nickels, dimes, and quarters? No. So it is a child's world going to fall apart if they can't pay for something at Target with quarters? No, because they're not going to anyway. So it's not that I don't want a child to learn about coins and to help possibly enhance their money skills with coins, but is that a high priority goal? You have to really think about it because it's really not. And I've got a few other of those that really kind of put me up on my soapbox. <laughs> we got to get these out. This is so 1980s special education and we can't afford to do that anymore. So those three areas, those are messy mistakes that are happening right now that quite honestly, you can work with your IEP team and not have to have an IEP meeting to make these adjustments. You can get a parent input statement covering all of those areas of social, emotional, behavioral, academic relationships. All of those things can be included without needing a formal IEP meeting. You can figure out who is in charge of those accommodations and modifications. How are we going to delegate and who's going to have the accountability to make sure that they're done? That can be done without an IEP meeting. These IEP goals, you can absolutely do a paperwork shuffle and you can get things adjusted. The bottom line is that we don't have to wait for a big old meeting with, you know, 12 people around the virtual table to discuss things in depth when we're all in agreement to move things forward. So don't think that this process has to be harder than, you know, it needs to be. Don't feed into the drama that's in our special education community about how hard this has to be. Open up the communication, use the keywords, and focus on the child's future. We all know that a child's supposed to receive this free and appropriate public education. We use the term FAPE a lot, right? But that word appropriate is what gets us in a lot of tension. So I like to move to the next space of this purpose and findings of IEPs and IDEA law. And it says that we need to meet a child's unique needs and prepare them for further education, employment, independent living. And that's where we need to focus moving forward. How are we going to meet a child's unique needs and prepare them for the future? And how are we going to clean up these messy mistakes that are really built out of old habits, our old archaic school system that we're still in? It's built out of not knowing how to make things better. But you know now, you're here, you listen to it, you have things that you can do. So again, I'm going to encourage you to come join us over in the Master IEP Coach Mentorship for our last mentorship of this school year over at MasterIEPCoach.com. I cannot wait to continue this conversation with you. I've got some great interviews coming up here on the Special Education Inner Circle podcast. And also don't forget that we continue this conversation inside of our members only group the Special Education Inner Circle. So you can always reach out to us and find us at specialedinnercircle.com. All right, everyone, I'll see you next time.